Welcome to the Mad Hands Records Podcast. Brought to you courtesy of Spotify for Podcasters. Thanks to Spotify, the music of Mad Hands Records is available for all to hear anytime, any day. Johnny Rock and myself, Mad Mike, have some interesting stories about this great music. So sit back and enjoy it. Welcome to episode 10 of the Mad Hands Records Podcast. My good buddy Johnny Rock here, talking about my mad, mad, mad world. This was the uh, seventh release on Mad Hands Records back in 2011. And you know, this was the first um, collection that I actually decided to put it out under my name instead of Thousand Tiny Fingers or Dave Rubin's collections. I had a whole lot of stuff that was in the can, I guess, for years of recording since moving to Teaneck and opening Mad Hand Studio. And you know those days as well as I do. You came from, I think you were still in Maryland. when because you I moved, was year? in Maryland first, yeah. You moved to Minnesota in 91 no, or 92? No. Well, you know, when I did the mural, I was living in Minnesota. Well, that's many years yeah. later. Yeah. But when we when I first moved to Teaneck, which was 1990, I believe you were yes, still in I Maryland. I was still in Maryland because I came up and saw you. You came up and helped me make the studio. Yeah. You didn't just come up and see me. We did heavy construction work in there. You were yeah. helping me build that. And it went through a couple changes. We built the room. The control room had to end up changing the, the, the size of it after a year. If I remember right, I brought more gear in and it wasn't enough room in the control room. Was it a year? At least a year. Yeah. And we started work probably 91. You had to move the wall out, right? The control room wall with the uh, glass window that we could see into the, uh-huh. the playroom. That was a great studio. And so many people came in there. A lot of good times years. in there, sitting in that room with you. Yeah. So you were a big part of getting that studio started. Uh, that was 91. And I would say but right not too long after that, I started. Uh, I opened the doors and started letting people in to play and record. And just... A mountain of people over the years. 30 years of recording in Mad Hand Studio. Every time I came over, there was new people and some amazing talent. You know, from backup vocalists to, you know, guitar players, organists, uh, everything. Every possible iteration of music came through there. No, it was uh, pretty awesome. And, you know, this collection, again, we're talking about this uh, 2011 My Mad, Mad, Mad World. Uh, it includes a lot of selections that really encompass a whole lot of different styles of things and different combinations of people that came in the studio in the early years, uh, including uh, Chuck Underwood, who really saved my music career when I was still living in Maryland, it saved me from becoming just a high school teacher and kept me playing as a as a working musician. I have to thank. Oh, well, it was lucky you hooked up with him because that's that really did change it. You just thought you were going to be a school teacher after that, right? It's going to be a little music career and then yeah, play a, a couple little gigs yeah, and yeah, be a teacher. Yeah. And uh, luckily, it didn't work out that way. Well, the method was a special group, and they were very progressive, you know, and that just led to more things. It was an amazing time. Um, I was teaching high school while I was in that band. So I was pretty busy at that time, 80 to 82. In any case, once we moved to Teaneck, uh, 1990, I was still in touch with Chuck. Uh, and Chuck came up. He had a family by then. 
he would come up and visit. And I remember two specific visits. One was in 91 and one was in 92. And we always made a point of every time we got together, let's go down in the studio and let's play. I was watching Chuck on YouTube the other day doing a Steely Dan solo. Uh, and for uh, and Kid Charlemagne or whatever it was. And uh, I couldn't believe he's how old he looks. I still remember him from back in the day. He's like got no hair. He's white, white haired, what's left of it. He's doing great. He just yeah. did a uh, gig I saw posting. He's been playing with lots of uh, lots of groups. He's got his little jazz trio he plays with still. But yeah, the the um, the method. Boy, that was uh, some heady times. But anyway, what we did with Chuck, though, when he would come up to visit, like I said, we'd always play a song. And one of the songs that we recorded, and I believe this was in 92, we entitled it Splang. And this was just the two of us. Uh Chuck would lay down a, a keyboard bass line first, and uh, I'd play along with him. And then he'd go back and start putting all this magic on top of it until it became this, wow, what is yeah, this? Yeah, I love Splang. Yeah, we're, we're going to check that out. We're going to listen to Splang. And again, this goes back to 1992. Uh, we recorded it, and it appeared in 2011. It sat for that long, uh, 20 years basically, until uh, I put it out on this uh, recording. And again, my thinking was... I got to get some of these recordings out just so people could hear them because I have so many things sitting on discs and in hard drives. And You, you still do. I still do. Yeah. And most of it you don't remember. You don't get yeah. to listen to it. So to have some avenue where people can hear it, uh, it, it was a big thing for me. And again, people can still listen to that recording on Bandcamp. Do you ever think about uh, digging out some Spectrum? I have in the past, or I still have recordings from Dave Smith. Yeah. Again, they're you know they're a little further down the list because yeah, they're not yeah, with me on yeah, it, and I hate to be you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. got so many things that that's I true. Played. That's true. Yeah. But Dave, I I did that for Dave actually. Uh, I had quite a few recordings. We're still in touch. Uh, Dave Smith. Dave Smith. Yeah. yeah. He's um, he was uh, my man. <laughs> I'd love to see him again. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a podcast on uh, YouTube. He does now. Um. But let's not get too far afield before we start uh, losing where we're coming from here. Let's do we're, some splang. I got, a, I got some, uh, you know, I got a fever, and the only thing that's going to cure it will be some splang. Let's listen to Chuck Underwood and Mad Mike off of the uh, recording "My Mad 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 World," the seventh recording on W. I mean, <laughs> the seventh recording on Mad Ends Records, 2011. Check it out.
How about that? A little splang for you. Appropriately named. Chuck Underwood. It sounds like splang. Very cool tune. A lot of great lines in there. And we didn't know him. You know, really it wasn't, good. we didn't plan it until we sat down in the studio and Chuck just starts putting this stuff down. Sometimes that's the best, you know? Quite often it is. And they were just amazing trips when Chuck would come up because we were always so happy to see each other. It had been a number of years since we really worked together. So any opportunity we had, hey, we jumped on it and we had a great time. Always loved it when Chuck came up. It's been a little while now since I've seen him, since I'm down here with you in Florida. But uh, keeping up with him, and he's doing a lot of stuff up there in the D.C. area. Uh, you ever going to get him down here for a visit? Well, he knows he's got an open invitation. He's um, got a lot of things he's got to do up that area. He's got two kids. One of them lives in upstate New York, and the other one lives in Lake Tahoe. Wow. So he's going different places. Uh, it's, Florida's not in the uh, cards right now for him to come visit, but he, he'll be here at some point, I'm, I'm sure of it. Well, you know, I got another piece that I want to play off this recording. Again, we're talking about the My Mad, Mad, Mad World, the 2011 release on Mad Hands Records. And, you know, we've been playing a lot of stuff on the show week after week of Charlie Thomas. You know, we have the new recording we just did uh, in 2019, which we're promoting now. And we have a couple more that are coming out uh, and that he's part of. Uh, but uh, he was also part of many other things early on. Uh, at Mad Hens, and I was so honored to have him want to come out and just hang out at Mad Hens Studio. He loved Dave Rubin's poems. He would come out and read stuff for Dave. We even did a few gigs with the uh, initial uh, recording, the uh, Psychedelic Steppenwolves. We played at the Knitting Factory, and Charlie would come out and do these gigs with us. I was like, wow. You know, it's not, he's not playing in front of, you know, thousands of people uh, idolizing him for his drifters tunes he's reading dave rubin poems i mean he really got into it so i was so excited anytime charlie would come out to the house one day in particular i had a track that i recorded with a number of other musicians uh that were part of my background and there was no vocal on it yet it was a a standard tune uh, entitled fever you know that that old yeah, tune, yeah. fever uh and i had put down the track with uh, one of our old friends from the D.C. area playing bass, Wade Matthews. Wade was Matthews. Wade the late Ma Wade Matthews. Yeah, boy, he left us way, way too Way too early. What a great bass player. Great bass player, great person, just total great musician. Now, besides him, I had uh, some other people who came in and played on this track. Again, we didn't know it was going to turn into what it did. Uh, another good friend from my early days in New York was Neil Alexander. We were part of, uh, um, he was, we played together, uh, it, it, General Disturbance. You remember you did a, oh, yeah, a, right. yeah. a cover for us. We were a, a duo. The and first then we, one. Uh, we became a trio when we got uh, Wayne Math, Wade, uh, Wade, no, uh, Wayne Hammond, I'm sorry, the bass player who ended up playing with uh, Mick Taylor. When we, right. Uh, he was in the trio, General Disturbance. We did some great stuff in the East Village back in the uh, mid-'80s. So when I moved out to Teaneck, I was still uh, working in some capacity with, uh, with Neil. So anytime I could get him to come out as well, it was always a great thing. So he's on this track, this Fever track. Now, another guy who I, we've played earlier uh, when we were talking about the Louis Lyman CD, Rob Wiggins, who did all the programming for the drums on that recording. 
He's doing the drum recording, the uh, drum, uh, machines, drum machines, yes, yeah. on this recording, and doing some backup vocals as well uh, with Nate Woodson, two backup singers who used to play with Charlie uh, as drifters back in the uh, 90s. Now, who else is on this? We've also got Bob D., alumni of Thousand Tiny yeah. Fingers, playing the guitar on this, and Tom Russo playing trumpet. He's uh, an alumni from way back as well, and he still lives in my apartment in New York oh, City. Oh, yeah, East 9th Street. East 9th Street, 329 East 9th. Uh, so that's everybody who's playing on this song. Charlie Thomas is singing the lead. Again, it's a, it's a classic tune written by Coolian Davenport, entitled Fever, and it's on my 2011 release, My Mad, Mad, Mad World. Let's give it a listen. Don't worry about it. Just do it. Well, well. Oh, 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 oh,
Thomas singing the classic Fever. Amazing track, man. Just bringing back the memories. It's hard to believe that that was 30 years ago it was recorded. Peggy Lee? Oh, no. The, your version. Well, I'm not sure when Peggy Lee recorded yeah, yeah, yeah. it, but uh, that version you just heard with Charlie Thomas is 30 years old. Peggy Lee did sing it. A lot of Probably people sang it. Probably in the 50s. Not sure 50s when. or 60s. It's a very yeah. popular song. Making somebody a lot of money. Cooley and Davenport, those are the writers. They're, they're making a lot of money off of that. So we got our own version, and we're sticking by it. If you'd like to hear more music from Mad Hands Records, and maybe even purchase a song or two, the best place to go is madhandsrecords.bandcamp.com. The whole catalog is up there, and you can listen to any song on the site without charge. There's a lot of content. So take your time and visit often. MadHandsRecords.BandCamp.com If you like the Mad Hands artwork on Bandcamp, check out my site, MindOfManto.com, all one word. Some of my more familiar oils, as well as sketches, and some of my album cover art is on that site. Email me at Manto51 at Yahoo.com and tell me what you think. That's right, Bandcamp's the place to go. Uh, a lot of recordings up there. I hope people will check out that site. You can hear a lot of Charlie Thomas up there. A lot of tiny, uh, Thousand Tiny Fingers. A lot of great stuff. Now, again, Johnny and I are talking today about uh, the My Mad, Mad, Mad World recording of 2011, which was my first solo album, I guess, if you want to call it that. And I was wrestling together all kind of recordings that took place over the uh, 90s and into the... Um, beginning of the next uh, century. Uh, we've already heard a little stuff that had Charlie Thomas on it. Before that, we heard some stuff with uh, Chuck Underwood. Now, there was another gentleman that really influenced me tremendously in my New York days, and it's carried over to today. Uh, he was a vibist, well, he still is, vibist and uh, bass clarinet player uh, out of Germany, Gunter Hampel, if you know his history at all. He is uh, 
one of the proponents of free jazz and uh, playing in collectives where everybody's sort of playing off each other and coming back to main themes at some point in a, in a uh, piece. And during my early days in New York, he happened to hear me in a jam session, which were there were so many of them going on in New York at that time. And for whatever reason, he uh, wanted to hang. And we, we would play. My apartment on 9th Street was a uh, an area where he could come and uh, jam a little bit. And then we would put a little, he put a little group together at that time, uh, which included Wayne Hammond on bass, Neil Alexander played with him, Bob D played with him. And he would, uh, his, his catalog of songs, he had at least a thousand, if not more, jazz tunes that were written down in a book that he would call out, number 310. <laughs> and you'd have to be going through your books and finding out which one. Does, does he still live in New York? No, he's in uh, Germany. He hasn't been in New York now for a while. He was um, going back and forth for a number of years. He had an apartment over on 12th Street, which he lost, I believe, the last couple of years over uh, um, disputes with the uh, landlord, which... Uh, <laughs> sounds which, familiar. Sounds familiar, right? Uh, and him not being there full time, I think, made it a little bit more difficult to hold on to it. Things changed a lot in East Village the past few years. A lot of those uh, Ukrainian uh, and uh, yeah, mainly Ukrainian were, were sold. Believe it or not, a lot of that area around my old apartment, Jared Kushner owns now. So, right? Yes, he owns your old building, right? He does. It's changed dramatically. It's it's, it's not the same, but everything changes. New York's a different place than when when I lived there. Did they find any secret documents in your old apartment? Not yet, but, uh, you know, they're going to have to get Tom out there before they do any searching, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I was a little out of the loop, so I don't think anything yeah, yeah, I had yeah. was that important. But again, talking about Gunter Hampel, um, we recorded a lot of stuff with Gunter, and we played a lot of gigs. I remember playing like uh, places like the gas station in New York City, if you ever saw this place... I it think was, I went there with you. I think I saw something at the gas station. The gas station was all uh, metal art. It, it had been a former gas station converted into an art studio, basically. Mm -hmm. The whole wall uh, around the gas station was made out of metal art, so you couldn't get into it. You know, it was, Everything was welded together. It was mm -hmm. this huge um, construction. And all the pieces inside it were all different artists that would do you know, welding art constructing different pieces of things and we would play in one of the service bays in the uh what used to be a gas station it was converted into a bar a small bar how are the acoustics not great yeah it was a concrete floor <laughs> concrete floor you know car repair yeah, place yeah. um but it was an awesome little room it was i think on the corner of avenue b and like second street right down to right before the bowery and, you know, it was, it would come alive, you know, during the daytime, you go by and go, what the heck is this, man? It's just a, a bunch of metal all thrown together from the outside. So you, you couldn't really tell it till you went in there. But at nighttime, it would come alive. All the local people come there and all kinds of different shows would, would take place there. So we played there quite often with Gunter Humpel, as well as places like the Knitting Factory. I think you probably went to the Knitting Factory gig, which was the premier of uh, Psychedelic Steppenwolves. I remember that, yes. That was back that in 94. That was a live performance, and uh, uh, Dave played live. That was the first time we tried to go out and promote Psychedelic Steppenwolves with a live show. Charlie was there, 
everybody who was on that first album, basically. And George DeBose was there, I remember, I'm, and Churchy. I'm sure he was. I know George was. Yeah. A lot of people showed up for that. Yeah, it was a, it was a great time. And that was um, the fall of 1994. That's when that was. Well, getting back to Gunter, on this particular recording, I uh, managed to find a couple of things that we did, which were uh, two of the pieces on this uh, CD. It were just Bob... Bob D on guitar, Gunter Hompel on the vibes, and myself on drums. And we had this one piece that we did that ended up being on this collection that uh, we didn't have a title for it until we started listening and listening. And darned if it didn't sound like a bunch of elephants running through a room, like uh, baby elephants, really, because they were starting out slow and they're finally coming into their own. So we ended up entitled, entitling this song The Elephant Walk. And uh, elephant dance, rather. And uh, again, it's just um, three of us, Gunter Hoppel, Bob D, and myself, just having some fun. Let's give a listen to this uh, elephant dance. Thank you. 
elephant dance. That was uh, Bob D, uh, Mad Mike on the drums, and Gunter Hompel on the vibes. Impromptu, right? That was just something you came up with. To yeah. Start a little groove and just let it go. And right. See, you have been part of so many magical things in this studio. There's so much music in this room that you were a part of. Uh, what a legacy. Well, I appreciate that thought. You know, the the idea behind all the recordings at Mad Hands was let's just get a lot of people that are really that can play well and just record and whatever comes out of it. Can't use everything, but a lot of it we could. And that that thinking started with um, Brooke Thaler back when we used to rehearse three or four nights a week in the city on 13th Street, which is where Late Night on 13th Street came from. One of the tunes that yeah. we used to open up the uh, Hour of Madness. We would just. Uh, go down to Brooks place and at the time he had this multi-track recorder which he sold to me which the psychedelic step moles was recorded on it was a uh, a 12 track analog recorder which had a looked like a cassette like a as, as the uh, the format but we we go down there to re- to rehearse and we we would usually rehearse 3 hours a night like for 3 or 4 days a week and he'd always have that recorder running which meant he had tapes and they weren't cheap Every one of those tapes, which only had maybe a half hour to 40 minutes on it, we do go These through... These were cassette tapes, right? The little ones? They weren't cassettes, but they were probably as big as the um, okay. DVDs were. Not DVDs. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, what were those? Uh, um, not the VHS, but the other ones that came out that didn't make it as they were more expensive than the VHS. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. They were that size. Yeah. Um, but, they, you know, so we would go through hundreds of dollars worth of these tapes because they were all multi-tracked. So we had all these recordings. and Where are they now? Well, they don't have that recorder, but they've all been digitized down into two-track okay. recordings. They're yeah. not multi-track anymore, but they were at that time. We recorded everything multi-track because he was footing the bill. He just we go in his his house and his his apartment rather, and he started recording. And I, we weren't asking him, "Hey, you know, do you need any money?" For he just said, "I got a bunch of tapes, man. I should start recording." They just start recording. <laughs> and I bought the unit from him a couple of years into our association. And became the mainstay of Mad Hands for the first number of recordings. And all those recordings, we mixed them down. I've got so many different hard drives full of recordings that I'm, I'm hoping to get to and marry those to some poems or whatever, put them up online so people can hear some of those early... Who knows what treasures you'll find in there? I'm so hoping. many years. I know that it, it, it all started in your, your father and mother's garage in Flower Valley, because <laughs> ever since I've known you, you've been involved with, there was always new musicians, always new people, and it just never stopped. And then it finally ended up in, in the you know, Lower East Side, you know, where you were just hooked up with so many people, and it just exploded, exploded into new names and new musicians and new music, and it's just been an incredible ride. And quite a trip. And here we are, man, still going at it, still going at it at 56 yeah. years or so. Well, you know, I've got one more piece that might wrap this up kind of nicely. You know, it all started at Mad Hands with um, with the association with Dave Rubin. Um, that gave me the impetus to start the recordings that we uh, put out beginning in 94, which were you, you were a major part of with the artwork. Uh, Dave Rubin, I continue to work with. When did uh, you meet Dave? We taught uh, special ed together in, in Crown Heights, That's Brooklyn. That's right, that's right, yes. For and he was years. a typing teacher who no, couldn't well, type. He, well, he, didn't, te- he oh. didn't teach typing in special ed. He, that was before. Oh, okay. He was trying to stay in the system. That was the only way he could do it was to 
be given a teaching assignment, typing, which he couldn't do. <laughs> uh, but we met uh, in 83 in the special ed department of uh, Wingate High School, the infamous Wingate High School. And, Where uh, was it? In Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Okay. Crown Heights, Brooklyn. You know, it's funny, when I first moved to New York, I was trying to get, a, you know, work, anything. I, I had a teaching degree. And I was looking to get uh, maybe, you know, a music teacher in the school system. So I went down to, uh, in Brooklyn, the Department of uh, Education. I said, yeah, I want to teach music. <laughs> Good luck. He says, you got to wait for somebody to die to get in that. He says, but I'll tell you what. You want to teach uh, history, English, special ed? He said, we got a lot of openings over in uh, Crown Heights. I didn't know what Crown Heights, I didn't know what the area was like. I had no idea. So I said, yeah, hook me up. So I... The first day I went out there, it took, you know, an hour on the subways, taking, you know, the, the number four, the five line out to Nevins. I can't even remember all the stops I took, but ended up in Crown Heights. They had me as a history teacher for two periods before the principal came and says, we're going to need you down in special ed. So uh, I moved downstairs to the special ed. Special ed. <laughs> and uh, I had a great time. You know, it's funny. Me and Dave, we had this... <laughs> camaraderie and you know something we still have a number of those students that are in touch with us today really we really impacted these kids you have to go to the prison to uh, meet them and to visit them no but when they didn't show up for class we knew that that's where they were <laughs> yes if you've ever tried to get into uh rikers it's it's an all, it's an <laughs> yeah, all so, day it takes six hours even to get in to see somebody. the lines are around the block <laughs> <laughs> anyway dave rubin is a major part of uh, why Mad Hands ended up being a record label that did all these recordings over the years because he got my interest in recording some of his poems and putting some of the music that we'd been recording with Thousand Tiny Fingers together. Uh, what I want to wrap up this podcast with is one of the songs that was a poem of his that we included on this recording. Uh, the first couple of recordings we did back in the 90s were pretty much all Dave's poems, and we'd set different music to it. By the time I got to this recording, I, I wanted to expand a little bit and didn't want to just show Dave's poems, although we love his stuff. I had, as we've listened to tonight, some other sources of music that influenced me tremendously, whether it was Chuck Underwood or Charlie Thomas or Gunter Hompel. But I do want to end up this podcast with one of the um, early recordings we did, just with Dave Rubin and uh, Bob D and... Um, and Brooke Thaler. Uh, this song that I'm going to play for you is called The Name Dropper's Diary. And um, actually, we did have another person who played on this as well. We had uh, this, this gentleman named Carrie. I don't even remember his last name, but he was playing some violin on this. So it's a little bit different sound than, uh, than you've heard with Thousand Tiny Fingers. But we're going to use this song to get on out of here with this podcast. And I hope it's been uh, inspirational and... Uh, ear opening to everybody you know it's one of the better recordings that i uh i think we put out and uh it was a lot of fun what do you think i think it was a lot of fun there you go <laughs> he think he thinks it was a lot of fun i think it was a lot it's of fun. A, it's a unanimous it was fun it was fun <laughs> well you know we're gonna get on out of here so uh say good night johnny good night johnny all right it was fun so keep listening we've got more podcasts to come for you thanks a lot Oh, 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 oh,
name drop his diary. Everyone you knew was famous. Everything you did was entered into a journal for the sake of posterity. You knew they'd come knocking at your door, the scholarly hounds, the seekers, the dumpster divers. So here, finally, you lay it out, the true story like it really was. No inflation, no self-promotion, of course. Who needs that? Everyone you knew was famous. Um, what did you say your name was? Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mad Hands Records podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email me at madmikecullens at gmail.com or monto51 at yahoo.com. And please, tell us what you think. We'd appreciate it. Also, check us out on Facebook, Mad Hands Records. Well, until next time, tan. Don't burn. And cross on green, not in between. <laughs>